Alright, before we get started today, I want to invite all our listeners, please hit that subscription button and hit that notification bell so that you always are up to date with the content we're putting out here at Catholic Studies Academy. And please help us out and help our community out by sharing the content so that we can help each other, our friends, our family, so that we can help each other grow in our Catholic faith. Thanks and God bless. Hi and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the author's books and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith and Dr. Richard Buzza Kelly. And on this special podcast, uh, we're going to be celebrating in a little way our 100th episode. Um, and so whenever you reach a milestone, right, it's always good to, to think back where, you're, where, where you've come from, think about where you're going, and, you know, really count your blessings in between. Uh, and so in this episode, we want to offer you some of our advice with regards to uh, um, going back to the basics, uh, looking at uh, the Catholic faith and looking at some of the, the good guides that are out there that can help guide you in your Catholic faith. Um, and because and we want to talk about this because it really strikes at the heart of why Catholic Studies Academy exists, you know. Um, this, this topic, it touches the core of our mission here at CSA. Um, and, you know, since, you know, in 2018, uh, the good doctors and I, uh, we really saw a, a gap in um, uh, education, right? Um, there was this gap between good, solid parish catechesis and very expensive undergraduate degrees. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and even in good parish catechesis, there was, there was a lot of good things out there in theology, um, and they were uh, thematic and topical, and, and they did well at addressing certain issues and things like that. Um, but one of the things that we wanted to really try to do was to, um, was to offer a systematic study of philosophy and theology. And so there were really three things that we sought out to remedy. Uh, the first was the understanding that philosophy serves theology, right? And this is why the church has asked for these two things to be studied in connection. Um, and so it, it's important uh, for us to study the faith. You know, John Paul II uh, said in Fides Oratio, right? Philosophical thought is often the only ground for understanding and dialogue with those who do not share our faith. Well, that's a lot of people today <laughs> that exist that do not sure. share our faith, sure. right? And so we wanted to really put the study of philosophy and theology at the service of evangelization. The second thing we, 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 we wanted to do is we, like I said, we need a systematic study of both faith and philosophy because this builds an ordered intellect, right? Um, I know in my own training, you know, after, even after school, after going to school and receiving degrees in theology, I'm still going back and putting things in order, uh, sure. um, uh, you know, with the help of philosophy and with the, the further study of theology. And the third, this, this really brings us to the topic of our podcast today, um, and that is we knew, we knew from the very beginning uh, from our own experience of growing in our own Catholic faith and our own uh, um, areas of expertise and how we became experts in those areas was that in order to really grow deeper, in order to really make progress, we need good guides. I mean, that's with absolutely mm -hmm. anything. That's not even unique sure. to theology and philosophy. Sure. Um, and so, uh, Dr. Smith uh, uh, and Buzakelli, uh, thanks. Congratulations on episode 100. All right. And um, um, it's, I think it's something very exciting, something we should celebrate. And um, 
I think, you know, to begin, let's go back to the basics here with regards to faith, right? So, Mm -hmm. so why, what, what kind of, how do you understand faith to begin to, to really sort of cooperate with God's grace in this way? And, you know, why is it, why is it important? You know, so in, in the book of Hebrews, we have a, we have kind of a, a working definition of the word faith, right? Yeah. Uh, the word uh, pistis in Greek, um, as used in the Judeo-Christian tradition at that time and, and going forward, right? Which is that it's, uh, it's the substrate of that for which we hope, right? The substrate of our hopes and um, certainty concerning those things which remain unseen. So that's kind of a that's kind of a basic um, starting point for a definition. What, what what do I where do I take that? Well, it seems to me that faith gives us a kind of um, a kind of a kind of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. That we don't have through natural reason alone. That's inaccessible to us by natural reason alone. And I don't think that it's reducible to just facts about. God and about the things that he does, although those things are indeed known to us in many instances only by faith and in no other way. But I think that what faith really is, right, um, is is that faith is really the knowledge of who God is and where we stand with him, right? So it's basically, it's God's self-revelation received by us. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Like I believe God. I believe sure. God. Sure. Yeah. 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 I think that's right on, Rich. I, I, and I just, I would just kind of echo that that approach and and line of thought when I uh, talk about this some um, in, in different contexts. Um, um, I emphasize the idea that that uh, faith has an object and that that object is God's revelation, right? And so you're talking about sort of God's own revelation. So you know, one of the things I always bring up about this is. You know, it, it's kind of like the 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 obvious the the question with an obvious answer, but it's really important. You know, it's kind of like you know people when they might ask, you know, well, why why should I be a philosopher? Why should I study philosophy? And I was like, well, do you love wisdom or foolishness? Right, <laughs> right, foolishness. Yes. That's right. <laughs> and then the second, is bliss. <laughs> when you're, right, when you think thinking about faith and theology and knowing God, uh, you know, you think, okay, this is knowing God, right? Faith is, yeah. you know if you want to get to know somebody, a really great way to get to know them is to listen to what they have to say about themselves. Right? Yeah. To so, start by believing me. That's right. Then yeah. we might get someplace in our relationship. Right. I mean, really, this is the, this Absolutely. is the major thing, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, if the end goal here is to have a relationship with God, a relationship mm-hmm. of friendship mm-hmm. and of sonship. Sure. With God, then it begins with my believing him. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Listening to him. And this is the thing, you know, sometimes, you know, you get this language uh, and I'm glad you, you introduced this, Rich, that you get this language of relationship with God. Uh, sometimes Christians will espouse it, but they don't study scripture. They don't study doctrine. They don't study tradition. And you're like, well, what kind of relationship do you have? Right. <laughs> it starts to sound like it's probably a monologue. Right. Because uh-huh. instead of like a real friendship, a real getting to know someone. Right. If if you're going to if you're going to get to know someone and understand that person or trinity of persons in this case. Right. You have to listen. Right. You have to hear them and where we hear God. Certainly, you know, we can talk, think about hearing God in, in, in the liturgy and in private prayer. But we hear God in scripture. Right. That's where he speaks. 
right? We hear God in sacred tradition, right? Um, so that, you know, I, I would say, you know, one of the, the glories of faith, right? Just to, you know, kind of wrap up here is that, the, is that we get, it is the primary uh, way in which we get to know and get to know our God, right? And if that's important, if knowing God, our ultimate end is important, then, you know, you need to cultivate your faith. It needs to not just be an afterthought. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I would add, I would add to that also, not just, you know, it, it should be in that first order, right. To know God, but mm-hmm. also like to know who you are. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I think for, for, you know, at least the, the modern man, right. Um, uh, because usually he's already denied God, but he, <laughs> but in some way he wants to understand himself better. At least, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, if you want to, you know, if I want to understand how my Toyota works, I go to the manufacturer, I go to the one who mm-hmm. built it and okay, what's the design? You know, mm-hmm. how did you mm-hmm. build this thing? How does it operate to its fullest extent? Sure. Uh, uh, and, you know, how does it flourish as a car? Right. Uh, you know, in a similar way, right. We need to, in order for us to understand how, how we were created and mm-hmm. how, uh, how we are going to flourish as human beings. Well, it's probably important to understand the one who, who designed you, right? The divine manufacturer, you know? Um, which isn't, uh, yeah. which isn't that, sorry, which doesn't the second Vatican council speak to that in some way? Uh, yeah. So basically this is a big theme in, in late 20th century uh, theology, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it continues to be a theme. It really was a strong theme in the thought of John Paul too, as well. Mm-hmm. So this is the idea that, um, that, God reveals man to himself. Yeah, right? Guardian et Spes, right? Guardian et Spes, yeah. And, and, uh, and John Paul II quoted that passage often. Sure. So the, um, and basically, right, he says that it's, it's really in the incarnation above all other places where the, the revelation of man to man is made. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that makes a lot of sense if you think about, if you think about Christ um, if you think about like the purpose of the incarnation, uh, above and beyond the um, the need to redeem man from sin, right? Mm-hmm. But the very idea that God chooses the vehicle of becoming a human being in order to do this, uh, the um, if if Christ if God is if God becomes a human being, right? Then you might want to pay attention to the kind of human being he is, <laughs> and right. And what what does it right, look sure. like to be that man? What is mm-hmm. a man supposed to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That sort of strikes the, the sort of the the imitation of Christ uh, sort of note, right? Uh, uh, in the tradition, you know, coming myself from a kind of Thomist Augustinian perspective, you know, one of the things that that I think about, of course, with with respect to the, you know, uh, the incarnation, especially, is man realizing that he is a sinner and that he needs salvation and a salvation that he can't provide for himself, right? And so, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, certainly the incarnation reveals to us, right, is our own um, sort of brokenness, our own need of grace, uh, and uh, as I say, our, our, you know, even when we are redeemed, that we're still dependent upon the, a redeemer, right? Mm-hmm. Dependent on someone, you know, sort of outside of ourselves. And that's not, that's not something that's... Um, very comfortable to the natural man fallen or otherwise, right. <laughs> that we need somebody outside of ourselves, right. To save ourselves. Yeah. That points to the, the necessity of faith. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that should be huge for Christians, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right, necessary. 
right? That's right. You know, <laughs> without right. with right. it, like you said, you know, without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? Mm-hmm. That's if you think about the logic of this, right? So let, let's, I mean, this 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 saying, this saying from Scripture, um, yeah. you know, strikes the contemporary person as a little bit, um, I don't know, divine narcissism or something. Right? <laughs> right. But, but, old, but old think about God. it like this, right? If God makes us for friendship with himself, mm-hmm. if that's if that's the, the thing that he made human beings to be happy with, to be satisfied with, right? To bring our, to, to bring us to our to our fulfillment. Then the process of our lives is a process in which God leads us to himself. Now, the question is obvious. How am I supposed to find my way to God? If I don't believe him, when right, right. he tells me, walk this way, come here. Mm-hmm. Right. I, right. I, exactly. It seems to me that that's, it is, it is indeed impossible to find our way there on our own. We sure. can't climb to God by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, important. I, that's very important, Rich. I mean, it's a, I mean, that's, again, that strikes at kind of the, kind of the pride and even, you know, sort of, I mean, amongst the, my, you know, the, the philosophers that I uh, respect and admire, there is, you know, I think in the kind of pre-Christian world, say in the Platonic tradition, maybe sometimes a tendency to kind of think, well, at least a few of us, right, <laughs> can ascend uh, to the one, right, and and transcend our humanity or our parent humanity um, through just the right, you know, combination of asceticism and contemplation. Uh, I think about someone someone like Plotinus, right? You know, uh, maybe not the many, but at least the few, right, uh, are capable of kind of climbing their way up, right, Mm -hmm. uh, to the one instead of being, you know, sort of lifted up through the life of grace and faith. Yeah, so this this life of faith, the beginning of eternal life, as the catechism Mm -hmm. says, right? Uh, It's bringing us there. And, um, but the, the, the nice thing is that we, we're not the first ones on this journey. There are those who have gone before <laughs> That's us, right? right? Absolutely. Uh, the witnesses of faith that we look to. And I think, you know, as we said in the beginning, right, it's important to, to look to those witnesses, to not discount things of the past as just simply old and antiquated. Mm-hmm. Um, but, to, but to look for the wisdom that's, that's within them to look for um, uh, what did they do because they had it so right, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for, uh, for us each in our, each in our own area of discipline, whether it be catechetics, philosophy or theology, right. Uh, there have been those who, that, that, that yeah. we've looked to that have made a great impact on, on not just our study, but, but I think, you know, or at least I'm talking personally here, but, but I mean, mm-hmm. on our own, um, faith life on our own, um, journey towards eternity. Right. So, um, Dr. Buzikali, why don't you get us started with this? With this round, um, point to maybe one or two um, theologians, saints um, that have uh, that have really had an impact on your own faith life and maybe your own uh, study of the, of yeah. the Catholic theology. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, my own personal story is a fairly long and and twisted one. I mean, twisted in the sense, you know, it winds in various. So, the whole another podcast. The, the, the truth comes out. <laughs> it's a uh, so, and I can I can go back to um, I can go back to when I was, to when I was in high school and my primary exposure to um, 
my primary exposure to scripture came, uh, so such were the conditions of the time, through um, Jimmy Swaggart, right, mm -hmm. the televangelist, um, and uh, and he wasn't, I would say, he wasn't a particularly good guide, but he was, um, <laughs> he was at least. He was someone who, at the time that I really needed this kind of thing, um, went to the scriptures as uh, a place of authority and proclaimed what he believed them to say with um, confidence in the, uh, with the idea that it was life-changing. And that, that was important to me at the time. I'm not going to credit Jimmy Swaggart as one of my great theological influences, <laughs> but it, it was an, actually an important moment in my, mm. in my development <clears throat> that, that period of time. Um, and then, um, really on the basis of his influence in, in thinking that, um, scripture was something I needed to, I needed to read, uh, I, I picked up the gospel of John and I just read it very, very carefully. About how old were you then? Uh, I was probably about 17. Okay. Um, and, um. I read it very, very carefully. I don't think I really understood it all that well, but I read it carefully enough that it it seared itself into my mind. Mm -hmm. And from that point forward in my life, it was really, it has been the touchstone for me in scripture. This is one of the reasons why, in, why later I gravitated so heavily toward, toward uh, Joseph Ratzinger, because of all the gospels, um, John is, is his gospel. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, but along, along the way, right. I went to college and, um, that was sort of a miracle in itself, but <laughs> that I got into college cause I was a terrible student in high school. But, but when I was in college, I, I, I had for various reasons, uh, thought I might want to, I might want to major in philosophy. And, uh, and I did. Um, I very quickly made that decision. Back then, you didn't have to go in with a decision, right? They didn't really expect you to make a final decision until you were like going into junior year. Mm -hmm. But but I made the decision to major in philosophy by Thanksgiving break of my freshman year. Mm -hmm. And I was exposed to people like Plato and Aristotle. and um, But uh, Augustine and Anselm and Aquinas... And these were all really pivotal figures to me. Not, of course, I was exposed to many more people than that, even within the specifically the Christian tradition. But um, but these were really the pivotal figures for me at the time. Uh, I was um, I was really in need of what Thomas had to give, which was which was sort of a um, a systematic and rational way of approaching the faith. Mm -hmm. I, I needed the faith at the time to to sort of answer questions about the world that I was exposed to the natural world not just not just sort of to answer questions in some I don't know how to put this um, in many ways I was a contemporary human being I mean I was I was I was the modern man in that um, in that, I didn't approach, I don't think I approached the faith already as something to be believed on the basis of its own authority. But, um, but I, I saw it as 
one explanation needing to be justified mm-hmm. uh, in the world. And Thomas, more than, more than most others, uh, helps to provide that. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I completely agree with you. I mean, I'm, I know many times, like even in my own like reversion to the back to the Catholic faith kind of, cause I was, I, would, I never really left it, but I was just very nominal, but you know, I, I was kind of tired of kind of one-off answers. Uh-huh. I wanted to, to, to gain a much larger perspective. Give me an answer that, that also makes sense with, all the other answers I've been given. Yeah. You know, why is this the case? Yeah. 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 Why and not is it just not in, the other thing? Yeah. And not just in this particular situation, but in the overall picture, the big picture, how does it coincide with, you know, uh, you know, what does morality have to do with the person of Jesus Christ? Like, you know, questions like that where, you know, I think the, the kind of the integrity, I want, I wanted the integrity of the faith to show. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that it hangs together. That yeah, it, it, yeah. It makes sense as a totality. That's what Thomas provided me at a time at that time in my life. I mean, later I've I've moved I've moved um, away from Thomas to to some significant degree, but mm-hmm. um, but you know, in the direction of uh, in the direction of of Ratzinger and people like that. But um, but. But at, at the foundation, I mean, Thomas was definitely um, my most significant influence in my in my early days. Sure. All right, Dr. Smith, how about you? Yeah, I would just say, I mean, pretty much very similar to, uh, to what Rich has said. I am a convert. Uh, I came into uh, the Catholic faith during college. Um, and I think maybe I knew zero Catholics. Personally. Uh, so <laughs> I was uh, one of those nerdy guys who just read a lot of books and kind of was like, hey, man, it sounds like it's true. Um, so, um, but, you know, very early on in that experience, uh, you know, there are a number of, of, of there's just all kinds of different components that go into that. I wouldn't say, you know, some people when they say, you know, they uh, who, who come in kind of that route kind of think of it as, you know, primarily argumentative. And I would yeah. certainly say arguments and apologetics had something to do with it, um, uh, for sure. That was, I would say, a component, uh, an important component, but only one component among others. You know, certainly the beauty of the liturgy, uh, um, the the beauty of the Catholic faith, I think, was a very uh, moving aspect of it, mm-hmm. as well as um, its history. You know, it's interesting. You know, for a lot of people, uh, even you know, cradle Catholics, the history of the Catholic Church is an occasion of shame or embarrassment. Uh, it wasn't for me. I kind of found it intriguing, right? I found it very interesting and oftentimes inspiring. Um, so, uh, um, you know, when I was early, uh, studying those things, there were, as I say, there were multiple components, right. Uh, that kind of, uh, came together there. Certainly people like Dante, like reading Dante's, uh, Inferno and, and, Paradiso, <laughs> right, as well as Purgatio. That was a really important part of, of uh, coming to Catholic faith. So I just kind of, you know, I got it kind of, it was an immersion into a tradition. Interestingly enough, at, a, at the time, moderately liberal Baptist college, um, but uh, it was an immersion to that tradition that, that was very compelling. Um, as I kind of moved in that direction, Thomas came more and more to the fore. 
right? Uh, and as a, you know, somebody who's a philosophy major, that's not surprising, uh, even in a setting that wasn't particularly Catholic. If you're going to be interested in medieval and Catholic things, then, you know, um, Thomas is often going to come to the fore. And so, you know, I mean, I, uh, I, I, I kind of pivoted from Aristotle to Aquinas probably my senior year um, in uh, college and, um, you know, kind of never looked back. I had some some good advice from some Dominican sisters. No surprise that they they pushed the, they pointed me towards uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas, and uh, and also you know, you know I ended up going to Catholic University of America on their recommendation because I could study Thomas Aquinas there. Uh, and so you know, it just like what Rich was saying, you know, when you when you step into Thomas, and there's a and you start to feel the pull, right? I would say the pull of Thomas is synthesis and comprehension, oh. right? I mean, okay. you, you feel like, you know, it, it, this kind of gets cheap, but it's just true still. Oftentimes in textbooks, you know, they'll show you a picture of a cathedral or an architectural uh, scheme of a cathedral, right? It kind of, that is almost kind of a picture of Thomas's thought. And there's a way in which that, that is kind of compelling, right? It, it, it all, it, it kind of hangs together, right? Uh, in a way that is very uh, compelling. Uh, and, and exciting, you know, like you, you feel like you're, you know, there's that, I can't remember the name of it. There's this wonderful, uh, I think it, um, maybe it's a lithograph or something, but it's a, it's an image that's from the late medieval period. It shows a man kind of emerging, emerging outside of this, it's a geocentric picture of the universe coming outside of and kind of peeling back, right? The outer sphere of earth and looking into, right, the stars and the, like, and everything around, right? And actually getting a sense of like reality, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what, you know, when, when you feel that tug of Thomas, I think that's kind of what he does for you. Um, and, 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 but I'll add to that, I think something that he does, that he, that when he does that, if you, if you go more than a superficial level, uh, he does give you that sense of comprehension, uh, but at the same time, doesn't fall into, the error of reducing Christian faith to philosophy. Um, I think he recognizes the limits, right? And this is something that sometimes I, I find in engaging with students, they find a little aggravating, especially uh, if they have any antagonism, right, to Christian faith. Uh, as I'll say, at some points I'll say, well, you know, Thomas won't, won't tell you, which can't, doesn't have a philosophical answer for what you're trying to, for the objection you're raising, because it has to do with the inner life of God. And he's going to say, you know, reason can't go there, right? Um, and, 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 and that's not ad hoc on Thomas's part. He has an explanation for why. Yeah, right. That's it. Right? He has an explanation right. for why that is the case. Yeah, You're right. exactly. Right. And so <laughs> it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful combination of, of an, of an, of ambition, philosophical ambition, right? There's a, a great intellectual kind of zeal, right? To Thomas to get as much as he can but also a, a consistent way of recognizing the limits of reason uh, as well. So I think that sense of balance and synthesis you find in Thomas has just been compelling and useful to me uh, really throughout my life as a Catholic uh, and, and, and also, you know, as a scholar. Yeah, so uh, as being uh, slightly younger than you, uh, wise gentleman, um, <laughs> just slightly. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, like my exposure to Thomas was, you know, maybe maybe some early books I picked up 
had his five proofs, but for the most part, he was fairly, fairly absent from, I mean, it was just, you know, when at the time of my reversion and stuff, it was, it was all John Paul II. Um, that was, I mean, that he was the Pope at the time. He was Pope for what, 20, was it 26 years? Um, you know, so, in, you know, for the majority of my life, I knew one Pope and that Pope wrote a lot and people like to publish that Pope. So, <laughs> so, you know, for my own, uh, you know, uh, getting into the Catholic faith, it, a lot of it was John Paul II, which then um, uh, went into, uh, uh, or at least for me, you know, went into Ratzinger, which, uh, you know, Ratzinger uh, was huge in my life, particularly his ecclesiology, which was probably one of the number one area areas of uh, or subject areas that he I think really uh, tried to to progress theology on um, you know so so from you know and for me that 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 idea and understanding of the church w- was huge because there were many churches right there were there's all these other Christian denominations right, right. you know and so uh, in a very real way it was I was trying to figure out you know what is this thing that is the church it's holy but it's full of sinners what the heck like (laughs) do i really need it then you know it's full of a bunch of people like me like uh you know why would i want why would i want more of that (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah so 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 uh he he played a huge part for me and um and he's got tons of books on uh kind of his ecclesiology there's even a huge um gigantic book by uh um what's the guy's name? Helm, I think, H-E-L, H-E-L-M, uh, who kind of put together all of Ratzinger's ecclesiology into one gigantic mm. volume. Um, uh, but, but, but really coming about, coming in to understand uh, the church as um, the church's communion, right? There was a huge aspect for Ratzinger um, that not only is it where I receive Holy Communion, but the church is this uh, uh, is this holy institution that is, uh, you know, the bride of Christ. And, you know, how do we understand that? So, you know, for me, it really, you know, I, I came back in, in, into my Catholic faith through the, the, the thought of John Paul II, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger. But I will say, um, just because this seems to be a podcast about Thomas Aquinas again, um, later, you know, later on when I was studying theology and philosophy, um, uh, Thomas did just in a very, I, I, I know he's dead and I was reading books, but in a calm way mm-hmm. was just able to say, here are the reasons for, you know, here is the answer to the question you ask, you know, very, very, you know, he was calmly filling a lot of the holes uh, that were there. And a lot of it was, I lacked uh, of a, a, a metaphysical understanding of the world and um, kind of a metaphysical foundation to my theological thoughts. Um, and so that was, you know, that's kind of where I really started to, to dive into more uh, philosophy. I, you know, I added that as a minor uh, in my undergrad um, and decided to take metaphysics at 830 in the morning. Nice. Uh, yeah, which that is, is the best time. Oh, it's a great way to wake up. <laughs> Two days a week, metaphysics. Coffee and metaphysics. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, that was, that was a huge class for me, right? So really, you know, I mean, just so many. It was one of those classes where you just have so many just aha moments uh, yeah, yeah. And, and really starting to. And, and so, you know, in, in a very real way, I really, you know, came to faith um, 
began to believe at, at in a very infantile way. Um, and it was only, you know, later that I went back and to, to, to read Thomas, to study philosophy, to, and, and not, and not just Thomas, but I mean, there's so many others, uh, that I can mention there with the church fathers, uh, St. Anselm is huge. Um, but, but also, you know, I, part of me, I, you know, I'm thankful for God, uh, for that. I'm thankful to God for that because, you know, in a, and I think in a very real way, I don't know if I would have appreciated some of these things had I studied it mm. as kind of a half serious mm. student in the very beginning, you know? Um, so, but, you know, going back and finding those, um, finding those answers, filling those gaps, filling those holes, finding those, those philosophical foundations that were lacking, mm. you know, I understood what, what the church taught, but, but the, the, the full answer to why, or, you know, to the fullest extent we can understand, right. Uh, of why was, was lacking, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, he was huge in that, especially, and I was point in particular in the area of uh, um, uh, anthropology, right. Uh, the human person, Thomas, I think is, is huge yeah, sure. uh, with that. And I think that's also uh, something that needs to be <laughs> rediscovered and taught today. Right. Um, I think many of the world's problems uh, can be solved with correct anthropology. Um so, so for me, you know, that's kind of uh, how it, but I, but I would point especially to Ratzinger um, and his emphasis on the liturgy as well. You know, I think that's, uh, um, that, w- that made a huge impact on my study of theology. It really gave it a, 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 a focus that was outside of simply like intellectual pleasure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but really put God as, as the object of, of my desire, my worship and all of that. So for me, Ratzinger was a huge influence because, um, you know, one of the things that he does is he, he also has, like Thomas, I think, a very synth, a very synthetic vision. Yeah. Right. Um, now, he does not he's not a systematic theologian. He doesn't. He doesn't do what Thomas does. Right. But but I think if you get into his mind, you can see that in his mind, it all hangs together. There is mm-hmm. a there is a kind of. Um, there's a picture that he's painting, you know, mm-hmm. and it's coherent. Um, and, um, and it's got Christ at the center of it, right. As the, uh, the culmination of humanity, right. This is what, this is what God was ultimately intending to do in making man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and so, I mean, it, it really is. And I, I, I like the fact that he uh, with Ratzinger, you know, he, he, he comes at today's problems as well. Um, in this way, you know, Ratzinger is, is a little bit like some of the people that he himself admires, namely Augustine and um, Martin Luther, ironically, you know, even though Luther's a Protestant heretic. The, um, but he's actually a, he's somebody that, that Ratzinger takes very seriously. Mm-hmm. But what, both these figures, right, um, Augustine and Luther, Really, they can be described as occasional thinkers, right? In the sense that um, they they respond to situations. They mm-hmm. much of what they write, probably most of what they write, is actually uh, is actually sort of not armchair theology, but but um, there's a situation in front of me, and here's me responding to it. Okay, and that's the way that's the way Ratzinger actually writes most of his stuff most of it yeah. is um 
most of it is really that kind of thing. He's addressing issues. So, um, but one of the issues of today is the multiplicity of churches, as you pointed out, or the multiplicity of bodies of believers, divisions within, within the faith. And, um, and he wants to try to provide not only an account historically as to how that happened, mm-hmm. but, but also to pave a way forward to overcoming the problem. Uh, and, um, and I think he wants to also try to see where the, how can I put it? Um, he wants to look at the question, not only from the point of view of division or unity, right? But, but actually both in, in which, in what way are we united and in what way are we divided? Yeah. Which yeah. I think is very, I think personally, I think that's very helpful, but. Yeah, yeah, and even as a catechist, I'll say Ratzinger had had a great influence as well because many of the many of the things he wrote about, he was answering modern objections, he was answering mm-hmm. modern issues, and he even he wrote several things on on catechesis as well, and like you said, he did he did a great job of really um, addressing kind of the the some of the modern even you know existential problems that yeah that modern man was was facing with technology starts- and things. He starts introduction to Christianity with the problem of belief. Yeah. Right. Like how does someone believe, how does the modern man believe? Yeah. He's got a, he's got, he's got a great, um, I think it was an essay or a speech he gave uh, called handing on the handing on the faith in an age of disbelief um, where, you know, he was, he was keenly, you know, uh, really just tapped into uh, uh, the modern culture. Um, and the other thing for the other thing for me with Ratzinger was that he, he was this weird kind of figure in kind of the history of the church where you know uh for part of his life he was a he, he was seen he was cast as the liberal right he was he was not a Thomist which was uh which was crazy that he was you know see uh prefect for the CDF right and not, and he wasn't a trained Thomist right that was very odd and he was seen as like this liberal and but today he's this like ultra conservative dude so I mean even the his the the perception of him i find is uh uh fairly interesting in the history of the church um yeah there's a lot to be said with that one so what, what, one more thing i would say about ratzinger though is uh, as far as what what makes me gravitate towards him is he has this way i think of getting at uh at the um the dogmatic center of a problem sure and um and this is this is what i this is what I really, really find useful in, in Ratzinger. Even in the midst of a complete disaster, right? Even in the midst of, say, uh, a problem, it's what seems to be an insoluble conundrum where you have people on both sides of an issue, incompatible positions arguing against each other. Mm-hmm. Ratzinger has this way of cutting like with a knife, right? To the center of the dispute and identifying there the thing they're the thing that actually they're trying they're both trying to preserve mm-hmm. right so even in the midst of terrible controversies in the church right over the means of salvation for example between protestants and catholics or um or even or within catholicism questions about providence and predestination ratzinger will um he'll he'll have this way of of identifying what each side is really sees as being at stake, 
Yeah. And you'll find that actually there's a, there's a point of confluence that there's a, there's a common, there's a baby in that bath water. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and that's the dogmatic center of the problem. And I, I think that that is really, really a, uh, uh, to me, that's what makes him one of the great theologians of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think even for somebody, when you look at somebody like Thomas, right. Uh, Dr. Smith, like the summa is Thomas answering other people's objections. Um, sure. You know, he doesn't discount them. He doesn't uh-huh. say, sure. uh, I'm not going to answer this one because it's just stupid, <laughs> you know, or saying this one was given to me by somebody I don't like, you know, like, it, you know, and that's what I, you know, I think, I think, I think in two, uh, two places he does do that. And I think he was <laughs> for Durantus, uh, a, a medieval figure uh, who thought that God was like the body of the universe. Uh, and <laughs> he doesn't have a lot of time for him, but yeah, most of the time he's, he's a pretty charitable interlocutor. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of, uh, Joseph Pieper, uh, said mm-hmm. that, you know, what makes St. Thomas a great teacher is that mm-hmm. he has the ability to approach whatever subject it is that he's teaching mm-hmm. from the point of view of the, the, the student. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually that's when you're in college, that's one of the major appeals of Thomas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. He takes you seriously. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I think uh, along those lines, you know, of his many interlocutors, right? Um, and I think, you know, he just, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, providentially, he was kind of just in the right place at the right time and had mm-hmm. the right instructors uh, to kind of allow his mind to flourish, I think, um, um, to its maybe its fullest degree for him. Uh, and uh, one of those areas you see is, is in his kind of um, just very broad appreciation and engagement with the broader philosophical and theological tradition. Mm. Um, so you see everybody from, you know, uh, pseudo Dionysius, right. Um, uh, who wasn't necessarily thought of as pseudo up until Thomas's time. <laughs> right. But, you know, have everything from pseudo Dionysius uh, who's very re- representative of the, a, Put, I'm going to try this, a patristically Christianized Neoplatonism, right? <laughs> uh, uh, all, you know, everything from that to um, Islamic philosophy uh, in both its more skeptical elements, like in Averroes, or in its more um, uh, orthodox and even mystical variants, uh, like in Ibn Sinai, uh, engaging with the Jewish uh, philosophical tradition, uh, and certainly with the Greek, uh, you know, tradition as well. Uh, so, you know, he, one of the things that's great about him uh, to me as a, as a Christian who does philosophy um, is, is just the breadth of his engagement. I happen to be teaching medieval philosophy right now uh, at, a, at a college and, you know, it's like, I mean, you can imagine a conversation between him and Plato and Aristotle, right? You know, like it never happened, obviously they were vastly different guys in different places, but like the the topics that to- engaged Thomas were the topics that engaged all of classical philosophy, mm-hmm. uh, and so in a way he's a he's not the only great thinker of that time period or of medieval philosophy, but he's just really great at at kind of if you study Thomas you get a you get a an interaction all of those different elements all those different questions questions about universals questions about um, the nature of change, uh, you know, um, 
questions about the forms and the immortality of the soul and the human person. I mean, all of that, right? I mean, he, because of the, the breadth of, of who he's engaged with, because he takes, you know, um, that, that you get to kind of interact with the breadth of the philosophical tradition. As a professor, one of the things uh, that that has in, you know, influenced me in, which maybe, you know, people who follow Thomas maybe kind of take this in different directions, but that inv actually uh, influenced my pedagogy, uh, mm -hmm. interestingly enough, right? That is, my, my own pedagogy is dialectical um, and not, I don't know, monological. I don't know what would be the, the difference over there. But uh, if you know what I mean, Rich, maybe you can speak to this. But like, I, I like, I mean, I, I, whenever I teach, like if, I was, like if I'm assigned to a philosophy human person course, I certainly teach a big chunk, right, of straight Thomas, right? Uh, but I also like to bring in Plato and to bring in Marx and to bring in, you know, Nietzsche and Albert Camus or, you know, other people that, that are the opposite really of Thomas because, that's the way actually Thomas works, right? He works dialectically. He he deals, he acts, he engages in a literary form called the disputed question, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Which if you don't have anybody to dispute, doesn't work very well, right? <laughs> but anyways, I don't know, Rich, if you have any thoughts about well, that? Well, I think, I mean, yeah, I, I, I've used actually as an assignment mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. disputed question. Right, right, right. By which I mean, I've posed a, I've posed a thesis Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and ask students to um, mount objections, mm -hmm. right? Make, uh, answer the objections, right? Make their argument, right? So, um, and I, I think it's very important. And what's shocking is how badly contemporary students tend to do. On <laughs> they simply, they don't, mm -hmm. their minds have not been trained to, sure. to, to, to like genuinely entertain the other guy's point of view that's the hardest move yeah getting them to frame objections uh and, and just trying to explain that like at like at the instructional level like handing out the assignment because i've done the same i have thing, to argue know? for the position i don't agree with <laughs> that's right right how do i do <laughs> but that? that's actually that's an that's, that's incomprehensible some of these that's people. Right. A, you have to use your imagination <laughs> you have to use logic you know that's again right. this is one of the things that attracted me to thomas when i was younger mm. is actually his his willingness to, it was, it's courageous, right? Mm -hmm. His willingness to, um, to give the other side of the argument its best mm -hmm. shot. Sure. And, and, and I used to, I remember even in college being, I would, I would just cringe at the idea <laughs> when people would, would describe, um, you know, they would describe you as, as closed minded because, because you, uh, you know, you, you you sort of had this confident position, which you had derived from your study right. of the great thinkers, including <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, St. Thomas. Mm -hmm. And I, I would just cringe at, at such an idea because, because um, in fact, there's no one more open-minded than the Catholic intellectual mm -hmm. in the scholastic tradition who, uh, <laughs> who engages in, in the disputed question. Right, right. I mean that that I I can't. That is the most open-minded thing you could possibly do. Sure, right. Yeah, yeah that, yeah. and I think for especially like if you read like the things that people are talking about in like you know contemporary evangelization, they're like, okay, we need to build you know uh, trust. We need to ask questions. Like like everything they're like 
they're 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 saying here's what we need to do so much of that was built into just education mm-hmm. uh um and and serious serious education within kind of the 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 Thomistic realm or or even just the classical mm-hmm. uh side of it was to yes take the person's position seriously mm-hmm. answer it without being um uh you know uh, condescending right right sure. you know answer you know argue the, the the position not the person you know i mean there's so many different things that mm-hmm. we we strive to do that were that were there before and that we we seem to have, have lost um but um but i think that points you know that that points back to one of the um one of the reasons why we started csa right um mm-hmm. to to provide to to fill that educational gap where we can have a systematic study of theology and philosophy and to uh, uh, be able to form the, the intellect um, to not just assent to God, but also to, um, uh, you know, uh, enter into the world and to answer the, the, the questions, whether, uh, whether we agree with the person or not, because uh, many times, you know, we have to be able to decipher, right? Somebody's question um, to see, see what it is that uh, the, the place that they're coming from, right. To take it seriously and to, to address it lovingly saying the church has an answer. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, and, and here it is, right. It, it, it will answer your question. Whereas, you know, sometimes people think of, you know, systematic study as just, you know, we're going to answer, we're going to give you all the answers to questions that nobody asks. No, yeah. <laughs> we're going to give you the an- we're going to give you the answers that that answer the deepest questions of the human person. Now, the problem or, comes or in- let me put it this way. Yeah. So so sometimes there are questions people ask to which the church does not have an answer. Sure. Right? And but I think what the church the church can provide in these cases is a couple of things. Number one. It can say, well, it's OK to have that question. But there's a way to there's a way to ask it. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, so in other words, learning how to approach a question in the right frame of mind mm-hmm. is, is I think very important in terms of remaining within the faith. Right. So there's, we can question ad extra from outside the faith. We can yeah. say, until I get an answer to this question, this question is a blockade for my belief. If I don't have an answer to this question, I can't believe. Or we can ask a question on intra, right? And we can say, well, um, this is a big, this is a question. It's an important question. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever know the answer to it, mm-hmm. but but, um, but I, what I can see is, is possible directions for answers, right? And where I would have yeah. to go if one answer or the other were, were true. So that's an important thing, right? And the other thing I think that the church provides is, and this isn't, just the church, but it's something the church gets from its, from the scholastic tradition, namely the capacity to draw distinctions, Mm -hmm. right? So um, one of the things that the contemporary mind has largely lost the ability to do in my, in my view, Mm -hmm. is to distinguish between various nuances of an idea. And so you end up with all sorts of, um, equivocation right in when we talk about justice or love or something we can't we go down 
roads with these <laughs> contemporary problems, right? That that really, from a Christian point of view, you couldn't possibly go down. Sure. But the reason we go down those roads, even within the church, is that we've ceased to learn to distinguish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So I think that needs to be recovered. And I think that one of the things that we offer at Catholic Studies Academy right. is training in, in I mean, it, if but for no other, if in no other way that we, that we try to do this ourselves, this is how right. we've all been, mm-hmm. we ourselves have been trained mm-hmm. to draw distinctions. And so we, we show people what, what that looks like in a person's mind. Yeah. And I think once you, once you begin building, um, building that ordered intellect and i'm speaking just from a lot of my own experience is i think like doctors like dr smith said you begin to when you when you interact with somebody who you know somebody may be hostile to faith or just you know uh maybe even indifferent to the faith right you be you begin to have that that kind of um that freedom for excellence which you know that freedom for uh, being able to, to say, okay, let me ask this person a question and, and really sort of, you know, maybe a question that they've, they've never asked. Right. And so you can, you can begin to enter into dialogue and, and what that question does for that other person is it sparks that curiosity. Right. So Mm -hmm. before you just give them an answer to a question they never asked, sometimes (laughs) you have to give them that question it, and, and, you know, and it may take them a little while to, to entertain the curiosity of that question and what position that question presents. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you can begin to, to, to dialogue and, and, and in that way. So, so I think it does, you know, one of the things we, we, we try to do is I think, you know, really try to give people some, some freedom there to, to, to work within uh, um, uh, you know, uh, the boundaries, right. Of the Catholic faith, but, but not in a, um, not in a restrictive way, but in a way that actually promotes, uh, freedom. Sure. Sure. All right, gentlemen, I think we've given our, uh, listeners a lot to think about. Um, any, any final thoughts, uh, on here on our, on our hundredth episode? I just follow up, I guess, a little bit on what Rich said there that, that, you know, I think, uh, one of the things that, that, Catholic Studies Academy has to offer to folks, and I hope that this comes across in our podcast and uh, uh, in our short videos that we have on YouTube. Um, uh, Rich has done a lot of those that are really great. Uh, also, you know, in our blog post that you know is kind of just trying to exemplify what the Catholic intellectual life looks like, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's not that you have to necessarily be a Thomist, although I think you should, but uh, <laughs> nevertheless, it's not that you have to be a Thomist. Uh, uh, or a Ratzingerian, uh, or I don't know what, whatever that is exactly, but um, it's that you know these are good examples, right, of what it looks like to be a Christian who has faith, engaging intellectually, looking for further answers, you know, following that Anselmian, you know, faith-seeking understanding mm-hmm. uh, kind of approach. Um, and the, you know, Thomas and Ratzinger and, and Anselm and Augustine and, you know, the people we've talked about are great examples of that. And I, and I think the three of us, you know, are, are trying to be examples of that kind of reaching up to, uh, the, them as, as examples, um, that, that, uh, that we can follow. And so I just encourage people to engage in it in that way. Um, you know, uh, to engage in the, the, the courses and, uh, the podcast and 
We had our first live seminar not too long ago. That was a lot of fun, you know, to engage in the seminars in that way, right? You know, view CSA as a resource, um, you know, um, that gives you examples, gives you insights, uh, gives you uh, resources and content for your own, um, uh, you know, life as uh, a Christian and as a Catholic intellectual. Yeah, great point. I mean, you know, you think about all the great witnesses that went before us, right? What's one thing they all had in common? Well, they all had guides before them, right? Sure. Right, Augustine right. had Ambrose, Thomas mm-hmm. had Albert, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, something that we can imitate while we won't be able to necessarily imitate the uh, the, the intellect of Aquinas, <laughs> Aquinas had guides, right? And mm-hmm. so that's also sure. what we want to provide. Uh, Dr. Buzicelli, any final thoughts? Well, for me, you know, there's a certain, um, I think what I, what I want to kind of show, right, is mm-hmm. that we should have minds as broad as the church is, and, um, and, that, and that those minds should be, those minds should be trained mm-hmm. to, to think within the faith, and to do so in a way that engages, um, that engages the world, uh, by, I don't mean the world, capital W world, right? But what I mean is the natural world that engages natural reason. And, um, and so there should be a confidence in inquiry within the faith, right? Then I, 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 I try to model that and I try to show people what, uh, I try to show people how to, how to do that, how to think that way. Very good. And I I think that's what I think that's what we're all trying to do. Absolutely. And I think uh, I'll point our listeners for me, I'll point you to uh, catechism paragraph 157, right? Faith is certain that one of the things I I hope to do in, you know, catechesis and what I always try to do is, is to give people uh, a a confidence, right? In their faith um, to understand the certainty of it, right? Uh, That the, like it says, you know, the certainty of the divine light, right? Mm -hmm. It, it shines on there and, you know, 10,000 difficulties do not make for one doubt um, that we can have a certainty to our faith and we should be uh, uh, proud of that and able to stand on it. And, mm-hmm. you know, like it says in scripture, to be able to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Right. Um, so to circle to circle back to the beginning, right, that that there, it matters. Having mm-hmm. faith matters. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Because and, and and just to encourage all of our listeners seek that understanding that faith that faith begins right uh keep trying to learn as hard as it can be uh with all the voices uh that are constantly vying for our attention uh keep seeking that understanding and so uh i want to thank all of our listeners for all the support you've given us uh, as we've reached this milestone of 100 uh episodes of take every thought captive um uh just thank you for everything and we hope that you continue to uh uh, be able to use our uh information uh, for your own benefit And until next time, God bless.